welcome to another installment of Diary of an Ex-Evangelical, the podcast where we look at evangelical Christianity and go, say what? So I'm Marie, and this season I've been delving into church trauma and spiritual abuse because I have heard so many people that have dealt with this in the evangelical church. I also have dealt with it personally. For those of you that may be new to my podcast, I am a Roman Catholic. I was raised in a family where there was both Roman Catholicism and evangelical Christianity. My mother was independent Baptist and a member of a church that had evangelical leanings. My father is Roman Catholic. That's how I ended up being Roman Catholic. I was exposed very greatly to the evangelical culture for 17 years as a result of my mother's membership with this church, which ended in her death in 2020. And I also spent four years in this church. Excuse me. I'm actually having a bit of a scratchy throat today. And it's nothing serious. It's just I get it around this time of year, unfortunately. And, you know, so so going back to what I'm saying, I was exposed to this for 17 years. I spent four four of those 17 years in the church. I left in 2020 because of a lot of bullshit I was thrown at that made me feel insecure, uncomfortable, unsafe. And I actually went back to Catholicism. So yeah, live and learn. So the the title of this season has been called Church Trauma Can Look Like, and there is a reason for that. It is something that I saw on Facebook over summer 2021, and it is basically a thing that was on Reimagining Recovery, which is a Facebook page, and they got it from a Facebook user your favorite heterics. And they did this because unfortunately there is a thing in religion where there are people that have left organized religion because they have been severely traumatized by religion. So they called it church trauma can look like. So a nod to them for this. So before I go any further, I want to make it clear that this podcast is not intended to be a slander piece. This is to inform people, to educate people, to open up channels of conversation, because there is a lot about evangelical Christianity that we really, really do not discuss. And I I want to make it clear that I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm just trying to get that side out. And today's today's podcast is titled, Church Trauma Can Look Like Fear-Driven Theology. So let's dive in. What is fear-driven theology? Fear-driven theology is any practice that uses scripture to make a person think they're going to hell for the tiniest infraction. Now, I do want to throw one caveat in because of the fact that I'm a Roman Catholic. It can be used in Catholicism, but a lot of times if you hear about using scripture, it's more evangelicals using scripture for fear-driven theology. For Catholics, there is there is the scripture, but 
They also have something known as canon law, which is very interesting because it's kind of things like saying, it's where the whole argument of you can't remarry in the Catholic Church comes from. That's a famous example of it. And that's where you get like the annulment tribunals and, and whatnot. But in this, I'm going to mostly use it towards evangelicals because of the scripture argument, because most evangelical churches base their rules, their regulations, their constitutions, their, their version of canon law, if you will, on scripture. So, how is fear-driven theology used? Hell is actually referenced a lot. Shocker. And, you know, I mean, you hear, you hear it a lot in like the old, for like the old school evangelical preachers. I never really heard hell referenced a lot in Catholicism. I mean, my father did tell me that the nuns would mention it a lot back in the day, but I never heard it too much. But like in an old school evangelical church, they're more fire and brimstone. So you will hear about the, about hell. I famously heard a more modernized independent Baptist preacher talk about hell in an entire sermon. And funny story about that is he said about, he was talking about near death experiences and he said about how everybody describes heaven in them because nobody returns from hell. Now, there is a town in Michigan called hell. I know this because my father was a truck driver. <laughs> and I was about ready to go up to him and say, yo, pastor, um, people return from Michigan all the time. So, yeah, they come back from hell, Michigan. <laughs> and if he didn't believe me on that one, I would tell him, just Google Hell, Michigan. That's an opportunity missed. So, Hell is referenced a lot. Also, there is a argument of agree with what we believe, or you could find another church, which is basically saying, don't question anything. Just believe, believe this is God's word. Believe this is the truth. They like to use the truth a lot. And deal with it. But if you leave, also there is kind of a backfire, as I kind of learned recently. The backfire is that congregants can kind of be like stalkers, if you will, and bug you about your leaving. I actually <clears throat> experienced this a couple of times. I know several people who left evangelical churches who have experienced this. One actually left the same church I did. And they had people from that church always hounding them, saying, when are you going to come back? When are you going to come back? And just like me, they said, never. And for the record, I have since closed the door on that church. I even told them that. I closed the door. Because I do not feel comfortable around them anymore. I said to them, I actually went back to Catholicism. And truth is, I actually feel much better in Catholicism. And I will probably talk about that in a future season. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so yeah, that, that can always backfire. Fear doctrine is pushed over love. And fear doctrine is pretty much, what, self-explanatory. And your salvation can be lost and is dependent on obedience. These, these last two, sometimes I think you may find in a fire and brimstone church, or you may find it among older evangelicals, and I hate to say this, cults. I mean... 
if anybody's ever seen um seen the miniseries that was on Paramount Network a few years back, Waco, which I wish they would have put on Paramount Plus because it's an amazing documentary which really gets into it, but it's about the Branch Davidians, which which, you know, David Koresh was a part of. He started that whole cult in Waco, Texas. And, you know, he made it seem like as if you obey or you go into hell. So, yeah. So let's dive into this. Hell. Yes, kids, I am going straight to it. Hell. So there is mentions of fires of hell. Yes, those those things you see in the movies are true. There are sermons on hell. I actually mentioned this a couple of minutes ago. And being told that near-death experiences are only about heaven because no one comes back from hell. So here's all I have to say if you are in one of those sermons. After the after the service, go up to the preacher and say, excuse me, sir, because usually it is a man. Excuse me, sir. You are wrong. There is a place in Michigan called hell. People return from it all the time, argumentatively. You come back from hell. <laughs> It'll confuse them so so damn much. Trust me on this because I actually would say to people, what? Everybody comes back from Michigan. And they'll be like, what are you talking about? And then finally you have to say, it. there's a town in Michigan called hell. You know, just say it and walk away. Let them, let them figure it out. <laughs> so, yeah. And being told that the tiniest infraction will land you in hell. Which, let me give you a list. This is a long list, so I'm going to give you a Cliff Notes version of the list. Not being straight, having premarital sex. Refer to my last podcast on purity culture on that one. Dressing modestly. Again, mentioned it in the purity culture podcast listening to certain types of music i think i talked about this in the in the first season pop goes the culture and you know they i remember getting a lot of grief from a teenager about listening to imagine dragons the fray matchbox 20 <clears throat> because her mother and her father would only let her listen to classical music and whatever the heck K-Love has. Reading certain things, watching certain films and TV. Again, Robert Pattinson fans, unfortunately, the Pattinson army is a part of this because, because you know, most of his movies are a little weird. But... Fifty Shades of Grey fans, you unfortunately would be going to hell in their eyes. Ditto with well, pretty much anyone who does not watch the God's Not Dead movies. Dancing. Dancing, of all things. Unfortunately, I hate to say the Duggar family showed this on their show, but they did. Also, there is a very great pop culture reference, which is the film Footloose. And if you have not seen it, you must, you must, you must. But Footloose, which was a very iconic film from 1984. It was basically the story of this guy from Chicago who moves to a small town and he wants to overturn a ban on dancing. There was actually a preacher that had a lot of influence in this, in this rural South 
West Town. And he put a ban on dancing and rock music in the town. And, you know, so he kind of pushed for that ban to, to be lifted. And, you know, the reason, reason why is mostly, was mostly because of, I think, personal reasons it was. Trying to see what exactly was, was it? Because I'm reading the plot summary for Footloose, but here it was, you know, they, here it is. It was, um, how this preacher who was played by John Lithgow, he, he was devastated by an accident where this, um, young woman who, who Kevin Bacon's character, who's the one that wants to kind of lift this ban, you know, she lost her older brother in a car accident while they were driving under the, while it was a DUI accident. It was while driving under the influence of alcohol after a night of dancing. And this is why the, John Lithgow's character in Footloose persuaded the town council to enact this ordinance that was very anti-liquor, anti-drug, anti-dance, anti-rock. So, yeah. In fact, the um, young woman in Footloose that said about this was the daughter of the preacher. So, yeah, just shows you those pop culture references are indeed true. Also, going to secular schools is another thing that will probably make you go to hell in their eyes. Good example of them being annoyed by secular schools is one that I unfortunately faced. I am a graduate of a very prominent private secular school in New Jersey and this school in 2019 was looking for a fast food option to put on campus and here the you know there was Chick-fil-A as an option now Chick-fil-A as many of you know is run by evangelicals they are members of the Southern Baptist Conference. And, you know, the administration of this university basically said no. And they cited a lot of the stuff that Dan Cathy, who's the CEO of Chick-fil-A, said in 2012 about how they're against marriage equality. There was also a thing that Chick-fil-A, and I'm going to talk about this in, in a future podcast, spoiler alert, there was also about the fact that they, they, Chick-fil-A, would support these organizations like the Salvation Army and fund them and um, try to think of it, FCA, I want to say Fundamental Christian Athletes. Um, hold on. Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I actually had to Google it to to um, jog my memory. But Fellowship of Christian Athletes, it's called. And, you know, these, these groups were very anti-LGBTQ. They also, there's also a thing, I don't know how true this is, but they still support groups that want to push for anti-LGBTQ laws. They support it. Groups like Exodus International, which had the pray the gay away concept. So I, as an alumna of this university, was felt very attacked because I still remember being in a Sunday school class 
and the instructor who himself was a graduate of this university, he graduated with a master's from there. I graduated with a bachelor's and he said these things that made it seem like as if they were committing a war on Christianity. And I remember getting up and saying there, yes, they should have worded that a little differently. However, the way they worded it is PR 101. I said, the way they worded their press release is in a way that they are acknowledging that, yes, they are not going to have Chick-fil-A on campus. And this is the reason why. And it is worded in a way that neither party is seen as the bad person. It was more of a business decision, if you will. And also, I said it was a way of showing that the that the university was like, hey, Chick-fil-A has the right to, Chick-fil-A's executives have the right to be this way. We have the right to do this, pure and simple. So, yeah, going to secular schools, because I remember at this church, the two that, two Two young people in particular that were praised were homeschooled. They went to like, they end up having to go to a community college because some homeschooling, unfortunately, has, you get a GED, which is hard to get into a four-year university or college with. So they went to a community college, but then they went to Christian schools. So, yeah. I never heard that too much in Catholicism. I mean, I know people in Catholicism that went to public high schools and they were never judged. I myself went to public high school K through 12. I went to a community college. I went to I went to that university I just mentioned and I was never judged in the Catholic Church for it. In fact, I know a few people that took that same route and they were loved. So I never quite understood that. This list goes on and on, by the way, and I'm not going to go through it, but you could, you could find it. All right. The agree with us or leave one that I said about. It's an intimidation tactic, basically. Let's put it that way. It is an intimidation tactic. And I actually want to say that this does not always apply to a minister, to a pastor. You know, anybody could use this intimidation tactic. In my case, I experienced it from congregate members and from one very loud and obnoxious member of the elder board. So how does this work? It usually starts with something like, this is God's word, not ours. And you're made to feel like you have to check your brain at the door. Now, I find this kind of strange because... You know, I once had a gentleman say that the Baptists encourage thinking. And, you know, I mean, the only time I really felt it was in this one Sunday school class because the guy who ran it was a little bit of an intellectual, a little bit of a thinker. And, you know, he was also a byproduct of the Catholic Church before he went to Baptist. And, you know, but most of the time I felt like as if, even if I said, well, this is what I think is what they're saying. Somebody would say, no, 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 you got it all wrong. This is it. Deal with it. And unfortunately it was a very loud and obnoxious member of the elder board that did it a lot of times. So hmm, there you go. Push for obedience to believe what they believe 
and them alone. Like if you go to another church, you will be questioned for it. For instance, I famously walked away from a Bible study and said, I'm going to this prayer meeting at another church. I got questioned for it. When I was in the Catholic church and I first met these people, I got questioned for being in a Catholic church. I still remember there was, there were two things, which was, um, which was first there was the people in the church, in this church that I was in for four years prior to my being there. I remember I went to a funeral with my mother and the funeral was for a woman that I, you know, kind of had a cordial relationship with. And I remember I was in there. My mother already told them that I was Catholic. And I think she was doing that, you know, as a way to say, hey, she has a religion. She believes in Jesus back off of her. But they were very aggressive and would shove scripture down my throat at a funeral, mind you. They would make me feel like I was an outsider because I was a Roman Catholic. Also, I faced this at a, another church in New Jersey. It was, again, Independent Baptist, Evangelical. And I knew about this church because my aunt was a member of this church. And I remember walking into a community event they had, wearing, wearing a medal of the Virgin Mary. I just got done with a thing at a Catholic church in Philadelphia. I come in. And I'm sitting down with this man and he basically tells me I'm going to hell. And he says, this is why you have to deal with it. This is what God says. You have to deal with it. You know, you know, that right there just shows you how they are. And let's say you get to a stage like I did where you said enough is enough and you walk away. It's still problematic. And here's why. In a lot of circles, I experienced this personally, as I mentioned. I also heard of many who left these circles experiencing the same exact thing. I actually have heard of churches that will have a group of people that will go out to somebody who left and basically belittle the fuck out of them. There is also a thing in some church cultures where they come back, report back, and gossip about the person. I wish I was making this up, but I'm not. Um, so members will try to lure you back. They will call. They will text. I actually had one person send me a private message on Instagram. And, you know, I shot, I shot it down right from the start. I got a simple, hi, how are you? I knew where this was going. I shot it down and I said, I'm sorry. I don't deal with people from this place. I have gone back to Catholicism. Have a good day. Sent it blocked the person and the story also driving in your neighborhood and this does happen I actually had this happen personally and here's here's what happened I went to I went to go have coffee with a friend and you know I'm coming home and the coffee shop I went to was maybe I'm gonna say five or six blocks from my house so I could walk it I'm walking home. I'm right at the corner near my house. And I see this, I see this black Toyota and I recognized it right away. And the reason why I recognized it was because of the license plate. 
I had a feeling it was somebody from there that I did not want to speak to. So I'm trying to pretend that I do not see them. Like I'm trying to pretend like I'm looking at a text message from a friend. And the person sees me and we get into a conversation. He starts saying, starts it easy by saying, sorry to hear about your mother, yada, yada, yada. And then finally he throws, because this was like maybe a year, close to a year after my mother passed. Then finally he throws this one thing. When are you coming back? I said to him, never. I said, I found a congregation where I fit in perfectly. I said, I get more from them. He drove out of my neighborhood like a bat out of hell, which I found very odd. And then I was talking with people who went to this church, and I was talking to people who know people that went to this church, and I have heard of people that left that had the same problem. Which is odd because I never came across this. I mean, when I left the Catholic Church in 2014, I never had somebody say, when are you coming back? I never had people trying to do this shit. Of course, when I came back and I actually went back to the parish that I was in for many years that my father grew up in, that my grandmother grew up in, and they were... They were overjoyed to have me back. But in the time that I was not with them, they didn't do this shit. So makes you wonder, doesn't it? So doctrine over love. Now, doctrine over love is one of these crazy things. I mean, a lot of people would say that the Catholics do it because of canon law, because you know, you, you know, the old classic stereotype of, of Catholic, Roman Catholic guilt, which, you know, does exist. I mean, and, but of course, also with Catholicism, a lot has changed. It's, to me, it feels a little more relaxed. And a lot of that was because of the Second Vatican Council. So, so doctrine over love. In the evangelical church, this mostly focuses on the laws of the Old Testament, which I find kind of odd when you're around a group of evangelicals who say, oh, I'm New Testament, but there are things that they will talk about that's more Old Testament. And yeah, I know Old Testament and New Testament are supposed to be like complementary, but they kind of, but it seems like a lot of them push about maybe 80 to 90% of the New Testament. They push it aside and focus on the Old Testament and make you think that it is reflective to the New Testament. That's just my observation. So, so yeah, there's that. Taking certain books from the Bible and twisting them to promote more fear-mongering. A good example of this is the Book of Romans, or as or as my fellow Roman Catholics call it, the letter of St. John to the Romans. Romans is one of those books, and I, I've gone through a couple different studies on Romans. I actually went through one in the Evangelical Church, and I went through one in a more relaxed, kind of progressive non-denominational church and I've realized that a lot has been twisted and taken out of context and it kind of you know I also learned from a non-denominational minister that Romans unfortunately is the one book that a lot of people that were spiritually abused were spiritually abused by. And 
You know, so, so yeah, they will take stuff like that, twist it, manipulate it, and promote more fear-mongering. One good example is how they, they made it seem like as if Romans basically says, you're going to hell unless you do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, there's also another thing which is very crazy, but St. Paul... I'm just going to call him St. Paul, but the Apostle Paul, he was very much misunderstood. And yeah, there was something in his letter to St. Timothy about women not being preachers. There, and you know, there were a lot of things in Corinthians that that were basically made it seem like as if he was very sexist. But St. Paul, I learned as a result of being around this non-denominational minister, he was not sexist. St. Paul actually used women in his ministry. A great example of that goes back to Romans. And this pisses me off with evangelicals. I did not learn this until I started talking to people in non-denominational circles. Romans was written by St. Paul, but it was delivered to the Romans by a woman named Phoebe. Now, I remember reading that little part at the end of Romans when I was in an evangelical church which said greet Phoebe my co-worker and I remember thinking okay St. Paul had somebody that works with him maybe a secretary deliver this but St. Paul actually used women to spread the gospel you know there's also I'm trying to think of it. Uh, i trying to think what book it is, but there's one where it's a fabric, a woman that runs a very successful fabric company. Um, oh, here it is. It's, um, it was in, it was an ax. And, you know, Lydia and Tabitha, Lydia was a seller of purple cloak. And Tabitha, I'm trying to see what, Tabitha was kind of in with this group. And, you know, Tabitha is the only woman to be called a disciple. Lydia is a successful businesswoman who welcomes St. Paul and his entourage and hosts them, if you will. And this is an article I'm reading from a from the Biblical Archaeological Society. And it says, both Tabitha and Lydia fulfilled leadership roles in the early Christian church. They were important pillars of their communities and are described positively in the New Testament. So that shows you how it's twisted and promotes fear-mongering. And also spewing scripture. Now this is another bullet point. Spewing scripture every time someone does does or says something they don't agree with. I have heard of this in Catholicism, but it's very, very rare. I think a lot of that too is because Catholicism, it's like you learn the scripture, you learn about God and Jesus you learn about the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But you are also, I think, in a way, encouraged to contemplate more. And, you know, like I, I know priests have always said this, where they've always said, reflect. Which is more of a way of saying, contemplate. Think about it. 
And I never heard that too much in evangelical circles. So spewing, so with spewing scripture that when someone does or says something they don't agree with, I talked about this in my previous podcast on purity culture about Leviticus. Also, like they would spew it, like say, if somebody was an LGBTQ ally, if they were a feminist, a liberal, if they were a woman who wanted to do more or a person who supported women clergy. List goes on and on here. And one I came across, unfortunately, was evangelicals preaching to Catholics on why their faith is wrong. I wish I was making that up. I had several circumstances of this, both in the evangelical church that I was exposed to for 17 years and was in for four years, and also in the, also in that instance with the church that my aunt went to. And to me, it's just wrong. And half the time, just so you guys know, they are twisting it and maybe, maybe taking it out of context. So salvation can be lost. This one, oh God, don't get me started on this. Arguing that if you don't adhere to the rules and the interpretation, you're basically screwed. I think I pretty much illustrated that several times over. Involve certain words in the way they talk. The words I have come across with this piss me off to no end. And this is actually a good way to shut down an ex-evangelical or a victim of church abuse. God is in control is one that's used a lot. I will shut down so badly if somebody says God is in control. And the reason why is because in Catholicism, we're taught more about free will. We're taught about how God gives us the groundwork. God gives us the tools. But it's up to us to either follow it or don't follow it. And, you know, so there's that. And, you know, like the other thing that a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of these churches, and I can tell you this for a fact, a lot of these churches say, oh, we're Bible based, but they will still have rules and regulations. They will still have a constitution and that constitution there will be some things in it that they will cite a Bible verse. However, there are a lot of things that where they won't. And there are a lot of things that if you look at it, it seems like it's all a bunch of political and procedural bullshit ideology. And you're wondering, where the hell does the Bible put this into play? Okay. Involve certain, so involve certain terms in talking, which is you know, like God is in control. Foothold for the enemy is another one that I, I heard a lot. And I swear, I was five seconds away from punching the guy who said foothold for the enemy. Because he would say it about everything. And also, always talk down to like a child. Again, this goes back to the church elder story. The way he would talk about a lot of this shit, it sounded almost like he was talking down to people. He especially did this a lot with women. And 
you know, I have a major pet peeve, which is talking to an adult like they are a child. Because my thought is they're an adult. They're over 18. They hopefully have brains. So, you know, don't talk to them like you just caught a kid with their hand in the cookie jar. So, words that can be used for fear-driven theology. I used foothold for the enemy. But also, God is in control, I think, is a good one for that. You're going to hell for that. <laughs> you know, I only heard this used once by a Roman Catholic, and it was out of sarcasm now that I look back on the situation. <laughs> It was, um, I was involved with a group in, in a Catholic church and they had this gorgeous statue of the Virgin Mary they would put out at meetings and it was very old and I respected it because it was a work of art and I do respect art because it was very beautiful and to me it was a work of art and, and, and a symbol of something that we that we have great respect for, like most religious statues are. And I remember being very careful with holding this and somebody saying to me, you break that, you go to hell. And now that I look back on it, it was sarcastic. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would hear that a lot in evangelical circles. You're going to hell for that. That's going against God. That's another one I heard a lot in evangelical circles. I rarely hear that in Catholicism. Foothold for the enemy, which I talked about. And this is one that, another, it's another statement that will shut me down. You need a better walk with the Lord. And I personally think that can be kind of pushy. I remember going back to the church elder story. I remember this church elder would say that because I was dealing with depression, with anxiety, with physical issues. Like I have a messed up back and everything. And he would always say, oh, it's because of a demonic thing. You need a better walk with the Lord. And I'm like, didn't you ever think that medicine is involved? <laughs> like he said that, like I was having problems with my back and he said that. I was about ready to say to him. There's a computer at a hospital about, about 10 miles away that has images that show there is a physical problem with my back. Thank you very much. Also, this, this same elder, he sent me a text after I had surgery. So many people sent me texts after I had knee surgery. And they were like, oh, hope you feel better. And... You know, if you need us, let give a yell. This one, he sent me one saying, I hope this improves your walk with the Lord. What the actual fuck? So what's the conclusion? Um, here's the conclusions. And yes, there's more than one. First off, fear-based theology or fear-driven theology is brainwashing. And I will tell you right now, it is something that will take a while for you who was exposed to it to get out of. It's not what God intended. I don't think God intended people to be fearful. It's what leads people to become atheists or agnostic. I know so many people that left the evangelical church and just gave up on God. You know, either they became an atheist, said there's no God out, right? Or they became agnostic, which is basically, I know God exists, but I just don't know how good he is. And it's probably why a lot of anti-Christian groups have issues with Christians. I personally think it's why 
ISIS wanted to kill all those Christians. I think it's why North Korea is like, like, you know what? Don't drop a Bible in our country. And it's because we, because unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of evangelicals do use fear to try and convert people. I, I've read what Jesus has done to gain followers. I read the Bible and what he did. He never used fear. He talked about it in a more gentler manner. In fact, my favorite, my favorite one that he said was, it was the adulterous woman who, who the Pharisees kind of set up, you know, so they could kind of get Jesus on something. And he said, let he who is out sin throw the first stone at her. I'm paraphrasing, but you get the idea. And, you know, that right there speaks of a deity that doesn't use fear-based theology. So why, evangelicals, why are you using fear-based theology? And that, I think, is what I'm going to wrap it up with, that question. So, Diary of an Exvangelical is written, produced, and recorded by me. This is a sole project. And I'm hosted on Anchor, anchor.fm. You can get your own podcast hosted. By default, they do put it on Spotify. Little caveat, but however, Anchor does have the ability to get your podcast out there. You can have it listed on numerous hosts. I am listed on Spotify by default, but I am also listed on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Just search for Diary of an Exvangelical. You can follow me on Twitter, Exvangelical267. And until then, peace be with you.